Thank you uh, so much for the way, what it means to gather and worship together, for your kindness to, to me and to my family, and for us to be able to sing a song like that, that a new song that, that means so much to my family, and then at the very end of the service, we're going to sing what has been my favorite hymn, just the old school version of Because He Lives. Uh, before we started this morning, we were upstairs playing Can You Guess That Hymn Number from the old hymnal, uh, like name a hymn, guess the hymn number, and so trying to think about uh, all of those things. Also, thinking about what it means to gather and worship this morning, thinking about five years together uh, as a church family, and then thinking about on the cusp of the election this week, I could think of nothing more important for us as a church than to gather and take the Lord's Supper together this morning. And so we are going to end our time. Our response to God's word this morning is that we will take of the Lord's Supper together and then we're gonna sing Because He Lives and that will be our dismissal. That will send us out with the hope that we have in, in Christ. And so I think about how good you've been to my family and what it means to celebrate five years. Uh, there's a delicious divine irony and the fact that I'm going to attempt to preach about politics and government here. So uh, hopefully I make it five years in one day, uh, more, than just, uh, more than just five years. Uh, that's my goal. I'd love to be here for years and years to come. There's nowhere my family would, would rather be. And so we're going to think about this today, though. What does it mean to understand our approach to God and government, God and politics, how do we think about these things uh, together? And we're going to do that as beginning a new sermon series. We finished Galatians, and so we're starting a new sermon series today that's going to take us through Christmas, take us to the Advent season, and the sermon series is about the gift of limits. So we're building on our study of God's character earlier in 2020, who is God? How does he work in the world? How does he work in our life? So we have the foundation of theology, the foundation of God's character. We have an understanding of the gospel coming out of the book of Galatians. And with those things in mind, we're going to think about this concept of limits moving ahead. So we live in a world where we're limited. We have a limited amount of money, a limited amount of time, a limited number of relationships we can handle at any one time, a limited amount of information that we can handle at any one time. And what I hope we see over the next several weeks is those limits that God has put in our lives and in our world are a good gift from him. <laughs> Partly just to remind us that we're not God, that he is ultimately in control, but God's limits that he puts in the world are a part of his gift to lead us toward freedom. And so we're gonna do that together. And when I say limit, and I talked this morning about limited government, and even that phrase I know is just is so incredibly loaded, but when we talk about the limits of government, don't hear limit and think apathy or laziness. Nothing we talk about this morning is meant to lead toward an apathetic view of government or a laziness toward involvement in politics. It's not that, but when we understand limits, then we can rightly respond to the things that God has given us in the world. That's the direction we're gonna go this morning. Psalm chapter 2, let's read the first half of it, then we're going to study the whole thing together. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. 
and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Let's take time to pray together this morning. Father, we pray at this moment for soft and open hearts to, to your word. God, I thank you for the gift of, of a church family. God, we think about our brothers and sisters around the world, and, and we're overwhelmed by an election that stands in front of us in, in this country right now. But God, we know our brothers and sisters around the world are dealing with all kinds of turmoil in different ways, some political, some otherwise. And so, God, we want to have a good perspective as we move into this. But, God, we also want to know what it means to to be your people in this time. And so, God, show us clearly, more clearly this morning what that looks like. God, thank you again for what this church family has meant to me and my family, just the incredible gift uh, of these people and what it means to live together as your people in this place for your purposes. And, God, I pray that that would be true of us in the days ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we were thinking about this last week, and and as Emmaus, as the pastors here at Emmaus were gathered together praying for you, praying for our church, knowing everything that that is in front of us, we had a good conversation that reminded me of something that Amanda and I talked a lot about when I was going through PhD work. Um, So when we were doing doctoral work in New Orleans and had a young family and we're trying to work an eight to five job and do school and hold all these things together and Amanda was doing 10 times my work in the background, I had this thing that I would do where every semester I would tell Amanda, if we can just get through this semester, babe, I promise you next semester is gonna be so much easier. Like if we can just get through this semester, we're gonna be fine next semester. And then we would get to next semester and she would look at the course load and the workload and and no, 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 like if we can get through this semester, I've already looked ahead, don't worry, next semester, do you know what happened? Next semester never got easier. (laughs) The next season never got easier. And as we were gathered to pray this week for our church family, one of the things that was brought up in that conversation is because of where we are as a nation, because of even where we are as a church right now, there can be a temptation that says, if we could just get through the virus, or if we could just get through Tuesday, or if we could just get through 2020, then, then everything would be better. Now, let me say up front, there are seasons of life, especially grief when you've lost a spouse, there are seasons of life where just making it to tomorrow is success. So let's acknowledge that. There are seasons that are like that. But there is a spiritual danger in thinking that our job is just to get through this. Like the goal is just to get past Tuesday, or the goal is just to get through 2020, 2020, or the goal is just to get through the virus, because we miss what God wants to teach us in the middle of those situations. And if we too quickly just want to move to the next situation, I think we run the risk of missing what God would want to speak to us through his word. So you've heard what the commentators have said, you've heard what your favorite political analyst has said, Let's think of this morning about what does God's word have to say about this limit of government. Psalm 2, verse 1. Notice the language here. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves 
and the rulers take counsel together. This picture here, it almost feels like a questions of amazement. How, how could these nations think that, that they are greater than God, that they can somehow overcome his rule? When I read this language here in, in early in Psalm 2, it feels like Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel story. That here is a group of people who have gathered together with their plans and their purposes, putting their power together, trying to overcome the power of God, trying to do what only God can do. Why are these nations raging? Why are these kings setting themselves against the Lord? And notice it says against the Lord, against the one who is the creator of all things, against the one whose plans and purposes are good for his people, that they are not rebelling against an evil ruler, they are rebelling against a good and gracious God who has given us everything that we would ever need for life and fullness in this world. And notice as well that they are raging against his anointed. Now it's important here when you're reading the Old Testament that we catch the two pictures of of this language. Raging against his anointed, this is language that's obviously bound up with the the kings of Israel. That God is establishing his people, he's establishing his nations, he's establishing these kings who will rule over his people. And that God's plan was always in the Old Testament that through Israel, his goodness, his light would go out to all the other nations. And so this is raging against God's plan, against his king. But this language, as we're going to see throughout this morning, What does anointed point to in Psalm 2? Well, we know it's ultimately pointing to Jesus. Now, we want to understand it in its Old Testament setting here as a reference to the kings of Israel and to God's plans for his people, but we also see that it's pointing us toward the Messiah, toward the one who would ultimately come to be the Savior. And one way that this is helpful for us this morning is to make sure we read our situation correctly in reference to Scripture. In other words, when, when we find our lives and when we find our country here, where do we find it in these verses? Don't forget, we're the nations. We are a part of those people who rebel against the ways of God, who rage against the ways of God. And, and where this really comes down to the kind of the core of the issue is if you think about politics in, in 21st century America, And if you ever wonder, why do younger generations think about these things differently than I do, or why does people have different perspectives on this than I do in the church? Generally, generally, and this is a huge overgeneralization, but it comes down to this idea, do we draw the closest parallel for America with Israel or with Babylon? A lot of older generations, they draw a very close parallel between America and Israel, And a lot of younger generations, again, huge overgeneralization, but a lot of younger generations draw a closer parallel between America and Babylon as you're thinking about how we understand Scripture. Now, quickly, we realize that neither one of those is perfect. That when you draw that parallel too quickly with Babylon, you can miss the incredible good that has come from the impact of the United States. That when you draw that parallel too quickly between America and Babylon, it it devalues so much of the good work that has been done in this nation and what it means to be a a citizen of this nation and what it means to serve in government and serve in military. And so there's a caution there. And yet, in a way that probably goes deeper than we would even want to realize, how quickly American can begin 
to show some of those signs of Babylonian empire, some of those signs that we see in scripture associated with Babylon. And, and we get in so much bad biblical theology when we start to make these equations between contemporary United States and Israel and the Old Testament. And biblical theology can become very dangerous in those situations. And so from the very beginning, I just want to make sure that we orient it ourselves correctly, that we see the temptation of people to rage against God's ultimate authority in the world. The main point, the first point this morning in the sermon is to recognize the unlimited reign of God, but he is always resisted by people and nations who are trying to work against his ways, work against his plans. Look at what this looks like in in the next verse. At the end there of of verse two, you get the reference. This is what the people are saying. They're saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This is the idea that it's so easy for people to see God's rule in their life and they see it as a ball and chain rule. They see God putting shackles on our lives when in fact God's rule over our life should be a pathway to freedom. Dangerous freedom is I can do whatever I want to do. Good freedom is God rules over all and I live in worship and obedience to him. And in this situation, you see these nations saying, we want to get rid of God's rule in our life. We want to get rid of God's wisdom in our life. We want to get rid... And before we're too quick to look at the other political party or look at other nations, this is one of those places in the scripture we have to look at our own hearts and our own lives. And where is it true for us that we don't want God to reign in our own lives? God, I want my rights. I want my freedoms. I want to do what I want to do. But what you find in scripture is that full human freedom will ultimately live, just lead to more slavery. That you become enslaved to your own passions, your own ideas. And man, who do we not want to be enslaved to? Ourselves. (laughs) Where do we find ultimate freedom? It's through God's rule and God's reign. Look at the next verses here. Verses four down uh, down through six. He who sits in the heavens laughs. How does the Lord think about our rebellion against him, our attempts at establishing human governments that would do what only God is meant to do? He laughs. He holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Friends, I know you know that this is true, but let's be reminded. God will not be intimidated. God will not be threatened, and God will not be mocked. No matter what happens this week, no matter what happens next year, God is never intimidated, God is never threatened, and God will never be mocked. And what you see in these verses are humans rebelling against the rule of God, and God's response there is his holy, righteous anger. And I know that's not popular, I know that's not easy to say in church, but we're moving away from the word of God if we don't acknowledge that. That when people rebel against the way of God, he responds in perfect holiness and perfect righteousness to that. And, and look at the clear language there in, in verse 6 that, that sounds negative, but it's actually the pathway to freedom. It's actually the pathway to hope. Verse 6, as for me, God says, I have set my keen on Zion, my holy hill. Now, I know we want to rush to get to the Jesus part, and don't worry, we'll get there at, at the end because that's where this is ultimately leading. But In this verse, 
see the biblical reminder that God always establishes the rulers of the world. Let me take you through a few verses that you're probably familiar with, but if not, these are good reminders about what scripture says in reference to rulers and government in the world. Let's start with Romans chapter 13. Very famous verse there in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. As you're thinking about government, as you're thinking about politics, don't forget the gift of Romans chapter 13, a key passage there in the New Testament about this topic. Daniel chapter two, bless me the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons, how great is that on Time Change Sunday? I didn't even know, I didn't even think about that when this was playing. So uh, on Time Change Sunday, he changes times and seasons, he removes kings and sets up kings. Probably the most famous example of this in scripture is Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45 in reference to Cyrus, it says there, thus says the Lord to his anointed, now, not the same anointed in reference to Psalm chapter two, but this is the one that God's established to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. Again, I know we know this to be true, but as a reminder this, this morning, Nothing will happen this week. Nothing will happen the remainder of this year. Nothing will happen for all of eternity that is outside the perfect control of God. Now, that doesn't mean that every ruler who is put in place is equally good and righteous. This is where we have to distinguish between God's ordained will, the fact that nothing ever threatens his plan, nothing ever threatens his character, and what we would call God's revealed or moral will. This is a really important distinction because just because God has established someone in power in a position of authority doesn't mean that every person in authority is equally good in doing the revealed moral will of God. That's where we have to be understanding of what it means to understand the way that God's will works in the world. But the key from this verse is just to recognize that nothing will happen that is outside of the ultimate plans and purposes of God. So, quick review, make sure we get this first point. The first point this morning is simply to recognize the unlimited rule and reign of God. He is creator and ruler over all. He establishes rulers, and he even works through unjust rulers. He has perfect coordination of his love, wisdom, power, holiness, and justice. And we can have thankfulness to God for his common grace given to us through human government. I just want us to begin there. God has unlimited rule over all things, and I think we would recognize that. Here's the follow-up point, though. Because that is true, every human government is ultimately limited. Every human government, no matter how authoritarian or how democratic, is ultimately limited. I want to show you a couple of ways in which that's true in, in Scripture. The first way it's true is that every human government has limited time and scope. Every human government has limited time and scope. In reference to Jesus' kingdom, we know of Jesus' kingdom, there will be no end. 
Maybe a, a straight, more straight way to, for, straightforward way to say this would just be God always sets term limits. God always sets term limits. Human governments will come and go, but the rule of God will never end. Human governments, no matter how many people it covers or how much land someone would try to take, is just a fraction of the universe. A human government could never cover an amount of land that we couldn't cover with just a quick airplane ride. And yet God's government covers light years and light years and light years of the universe that he rules over all. Every human government is ultimately limited in its scope and the time. Remember the temptation that Satan gave to Jesus? Satan said, if you will bow down, if you will turn to me, I will give you what? All the kingdoms of the world. My concern is that in contemporary life, we would find that temptation extremely alluring. If only you would give up this, if only you would do this, I would give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus was very clear that his kingdom is not of this world. Limit number two, there's limited time and scope. Every human government has limited perspective. Proverbs 24, by wise guidance, you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors, there is victory. As Christians, we should be better positioned than anyone to be able to look at human government and say, you know what? Every human government, every political party, every leader is ultimately only going to be able to see a certain perspective. We all come from certain perspectives. We all have certain ideas about how politics should work. You think about this in the life of the church, and you think about contemporary life with the Republican Party that that really does a a great job in pushing issues of sanctity of human life and and the good gifts of of gender and marriage. And then you think about the Democratic Party that, that does a good job of pushing the importance of care for immigrants and care for the poor and the importance of racial equality. And we live in a country where if you find yourself in one of those camps, it's so hard to see the other person's perspective. And yet the gospel will always critique every human government. And the gospel will always critique every political party because as humans, we're only able to see a limited perspective. We all have a perspective, we see these things, and yet God's word, God's perspective reigns over all of our perspectives. And so as Christians, when we understand God's unlimited reign, it should position us with humility not to entrench ourselves in one party and one perspective, but to say, I want to see how God's word speaks to these issues from multiple perspectives from a way that I could never see on my own. Number three, government will always have limited purposes. And it's here that I would point you to another passage in the New Testament that's extremely good on this topic, and it's 1 Peter chapter 2. When you're thinking this week and wanting to read in Scripture, what does God's Word say about these things? Romans 13 is great. Psalm 2 is great. 1 Peter 2 is another extremely helpful passage here. It says there, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Why do we have government? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. 
Now that language is a little bit different in, in Romans 13 and 1 Timothy 2, but it's pretty similar there. Why do we have these purposes of government? It's to oppose what is evil and to promote what is good. Now here is where the policy discussions begin. And here is where we're able to gather together and have these debates and have these arguments about what does it mean to oppose what is evil and to promote what is good. And I think those decisions are, are extremely important. And, and that's where we want to have our policy decisions and, and discussions happening. But what I want to say this morning is to remember that's the purposes of government. And when we go beyond that, that's where we get ourselves in trouble because we start asking government to do something that only God can do. Or we start asking government to do something that God has given in other institutions, other ways in the world. And so we find from scripture that government has limited purposes. And then number four and five, I wanna take these together. Limited time, limited perspective, limited purposes, and then what we're gonna call this morning limited division and devotion. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now some people take this verse and they take the first phrase, honor everyone, as a type of heading and then it's like sub point one, sub point two, sub point three. I think Peter is doing something differently here though. I think in a very subtle way, living in the midst of the Roman Empire, Peter is putting the emperor and all people on the same plane. He's saying the emperor is just another person. Yes, a lot of rule, yes, a lot of power, but notice he uses the same word in reference to honor everyone and honor the emperor, but he gives special devotion. We love the brotherhood and we fear God. The way we relate to God, the way we relate to the church, and the way we relate to all people, including government officials, is distinct in here. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that government has limited power to divide us. And we need to hear this lesson this morning, that government has limited power to divide us. That as the people of God, we are held together because of our hope in Jesus Christ. Are we gonna be a church that sees these political policies issues differently? Yeah, absolutely we will. We're gonna have people that are come from different perspectives that are gonna see these things differently, but we are going to love the brotherhood. That we are not going to allow limited government to divide us in a way that Jesus brings us together. That government has limited power to divide and we have limited devotion toward those who are in positions of power. And I want to, this may be the most direct thing I say this morning and, and borderline controversial, but let me just say it as directly as I can. I can't say strongly enough how spiritually dangerous it is to give signs of worship or to use messianic language toward any human government official. I cannot say how spiritually dangerous it is to give signs of worship and to use messianic language toward any human government official. Pray for them, absolutely. Respect them, absolutely. Seek to live in submission to government authority, absolutely. But to treat with devotion that's only given to the Lord, we can't go there. It will corrupt the church from the inside out. And so we gather together to say we will fear God, we will love the brotherhood, and we will honor all people, those who disagree with us, 
and we will honor the emperor. Now, with those things being said, this points us back to the gospel. This points us back to Psalm chapter two, verse seven. Here's what it says in Psalm chapter two, verse seven. So the unlimited reign of God, the limits of human government, and the hope of the gospel. Psalm chapter two, verse seven. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In reference to Jesus, ultimately as the son of God here, we find a reference to salvation, to make the nations your possession, to draw all nations to you, and also a reference to judgment. Jesus holds the keys to salvation and judgment over all people. And then watch the language here in verses 10 through 12. Now therefore, what do you do with that? O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Man, that last line is so good there. It's really neat for a couple of reasons. Psalm chapter one begins with a phrase of blessing. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the way of the wicked. You get this language at the beginning of Psalm one in reference to blessing, and then Psalm chapter two wraps it up here with this language of blessed are all who take refuge in him. Don't miss this week especially how good that word refuge is. We don't find our security and comfort and peace and hope in any human government. Where are you going to take refuge this week, next week, next year? We take refuge in the sun. He is where we find our hope. And I've told you a few times along the way that, that this is a messianic psalm. It points toward the New Testament. I want to show you some of those verses in the New Testament that this points toward because this word gets really fun about the way that God's word is, is all unified and brought together. Let me show you a couple of places in the New Testament where this language is used. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 24. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Watch what you're gonna see here. Why did the, na- the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Watch the application of that psalm. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Where do we find one of the fulfillments of Psalm chapter two? We find it in the crucifixion of Jesus. Now watch this, Acts chapter 13, verse 33. Acts 13, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this, is he, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. An Old Testament psalm about the ultimate reign of God points to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. What are two problems that every person faces that the government can never deal with. 
sin and death. The sin of my heart and the reality of death, government can never touch. What are the two solutions to sin and death? The cross and the resurrection of Jesus. God's ultimate rule in the world comes to bear on our lives through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what I want to leave you with this morning as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. This week, where will you look? Now, are we going to watch a lot of TV? Unfortunately. Won't be good for us, but we probably will. Are we going to look at our phones a lot this week? Probably more than we're proud of. Yep, that, that will probably happen as well. Those things are coming. Here's what I want to give you pastorally this morning, asking us to do together as a church. The first is that we will agree to look up, that you will start every day and carry with you every moment of the day that God set my eyes on you, that I will look to you as the one who reigns over all. God, before I look at all those people out there that I disagree with and don't particularly like, force me to look in here. Force me to look in at my heart and my home and my church. Are we living as a people that you reign completely over us? And then, God, when I look out and I see all the things happening in the world, teach me to see those people as those who are created in your image for whom Jesus died. God, make me a person of prayer, a person of holiness, a person of wisdom, and how we look at those things is gonna make all the difference in how we respond to what happens. We look up to God who reigns. We look in to ask the question, God, do you reign in my heart? And then we look out, not seeing people as political enemies, but seeing people as those who are in need of the good news of Jesus. And in order to help us do that, we're gonna end this morning by taking the Lord's Supper together to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so here in just a minute, after I pray, there are gonna be people at these different tables. They'll have masks, they'll have gloves to hand you those cups that are stacked together. You usually have to twist them a little bit to get them apart. As you come and take those cups and then return to your seat, wait there. There are gonna be verses on the screen to be able to read and meditate on. And then together, <laughs> As a church, we're going to say, Lord, our only hope is in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We acknowledge that. We worship you. And then after we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to be able to sing a hymn of hope and confidence in Jesus that, that will ultimately send us out. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to move to this time of worship and this time of response. Father, I pray that, that nothing that has been said this morning has been distracting from the good news that you bring us through Jesus. God, we want to live every day knowing that you are Lord, that you reign over everything that happens. And God, we thank you for the good gift of government. It is a gift from you, it is something that you have instituted. And so for us to be apathetic or lazy toward that, it's not a good response of, of worship before you. But God, we also acknowledge that all human government is limited. And God, I pray that that would create within us a humility that allows us to respond differently than those who don't have that hope in you. And God, thank you for the incredible picture of scripture that Psalm chapter two 
ultimately points to the cross and the resurrection. God, we love that about the Bible, how all the pieces fit together, how all things are fulfilled in Jesus. And God, thank you for the way that you show us that through Psalm chapter two. And so Father, as we take the Lord's Supper together, as we sing together as a church, as we go from this place, may we go as those who take refuge in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.